But today we're in Acts, and we'll continue our study there. Uh, and as I mentioned, we are in Acts chapter 16. Now, go figure. You're not going to believe it. Acts 16 is closely related to Acts 15. Uh, and, that, and to be honest, that doesn't always happen, um, but it does definitely happen in this particular instance. And so I'll remind you just of a couple of things that we learned right at the end of chapter 15. Uh, you'll notice there, chapter 15, it, it ends with Paul and Barnabas. Remember, they returned from Jerusalem. There was that whole council thing that went on down in Jerusalem where they were going to sort of debate this issue uh, that, that different folks had differing ideas on, and uh, it was a significant enough issue. They had to bring that down to the council there, the elders, the apostles there in Jerusalem, that they might weigh in on it as well. When that completed, we saw, it was in verse 35, that Paul and Barnabas, they returned back to their home church, which you may recall was in that city called Antioch, Syrian Antioch, and they just resumed what they were doing before, teaching the word of God, trying to raise up the believers there, train them in the faith, a relatively young group of believers, maybe now seven years in the faith. Paul and Barnabas had been away for about three years on this missionary trip, and the additional time it took to go to Jerusalem, do their thing there, come back. And so they return there, and once more, if you will, they resume the pulpit. They begin to teach the people in the word of God again. And so verse 35, it says, Now Paul and Barnabas, they remained in Antioch doing just that, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now, we're never told how long they did that. Estimates range somewhere from a year to maybe four years, five years just sitting there, in, uh, or remaining there, I should say, there in Antioch and teaching the people and essentially just pastoring the body, that it might grow. But then we see an interesting thing in verse 36. Paul gets sort of that itch. There's this stirring that goes on within him. As wonderful as everything is in that particular church, so it's not like, this place stinks, i got to get out of here. As wonderful as everything is in that church, there's this drive, this draw to bring him or to send him elsewhere. And so notice it says in verse 36, and after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let's return, let's visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord that we might see how they are. Paul's heart. He cares for them. Again, as I've said a few times, Paul didn't want to just see people get, to, get into heaven. He wanted to see them grow in their walk here on the earth. For the remaining days that they had, he wanted them to grow in a closer relationship with the Lord, and that happens through the teaching of, and the study of God's Word. We hear from him. We meet with him. The Holy Spirit begins to convict us through the truth of his Word. We're challenged. We put away those things that alienate us in our relationship with God or separate us in some way in our relationship with the Lord. All of that is through the study of his Word, and Paul wanted to see how these believers were as growing as disciples. And so he says there to the others, hey, you know, we should go back to each one of those towns that we were in before and see how the brothers are doing. And that is going to begin the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And so it had been, I think we, it took us seven weeks or so, we looked at the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. That started in chapter uh, 13 and into chapter 14. Now we're going to be looking at, uh, start the process of looking at the second missionary journey of Paul, which is going to be in chapter 16, 17, and 18. How's that sound? Like a good plan? Everybody with me? All right, let's pray together for, you're like, wait a minute. No, we haven't started officially, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll start. Father, we thank you for the word, and Lord, we thank you for the burden 
Lord, that you put on the heart of Paul. Lord, even as he was ministering and uh, no doubt doing a good work and satisfied in what it was uh, that you were accomplishing through him, Lord, you laid it on his heart um, to go out once more. And Father, we thank you for that because these next three chapters of study are significant chapters for us as we, we learn to hear the voice of the Lord, as Paul did. As we learn to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, just as Paul did. Lord, as we see him interacting with others and sharing the good news and responding to different people, Lord, how important for us to see these things as well. As we learn, Lord, how to communicate with others and how to respond based on how others have responded to us. And so, Lord, even as uh, we're studying this entire book in a fresh way, we dedicate these next three chapters for you and pray that you would use Paul's second missionary journey in our lives, even as you used it in those first century individuals he came into contact with. And so we're praying for your blessing on your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's begin. I'm going to read the first five verses of Acts 16. If you, you don't have a Bible with you, we have some in the, the seats there in front of you. I think it's really important, certainly for every one of us to have a Bible, and I think it's important when we come here together that we're all looking at this ourselves. Quite frankly, sometimes you just get bored listening to me. Right? Amen? I had a, no, none of those. I think it's helpful to have a Bible in front of you because rather than scrolling on your phone when you're bored, you can read a little bit ahead and say, when's this guy going to finish? Or whatever it might be you want to do during it. Center it on the Word of God. Does that make sense? All right, so have a Bible in front of you. This way you also know I'm not making these things up. All right, they're there in the text. Verse 1 says this, Now Paul, he came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, a Christian, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in their numbers daily. So we're into the second missionary journey. The first missionary journey, remember, that was uh, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. This particular journey, and we looked at it last week for the various reasons why, this particular missionary journey, Paul's not going to take with him Barnabas and Mark, but instead he's going to bring with him a fellow by the name of Silas, who we've been introduced to briefly, and also eventually will join the team, a guy by the name of Timothy, we read his name here, and also Luke. And Luke's the fellow who ultimately wrote this particular book. And so he's going to be on this trip, which means we're going to get some eyewitness accounts from Luke. Now, Paul's first journey, we'll put a map up here, I'll remind you, it, it started there, the mainland. So you see Syria there, just south of Syria, eventually you're going to hit Israel, all right? But they're in that area there of Syria, they're in that city there of Antioch, which you may not be able to see, but that's where the arrows begin. And they make their way to Cyprus, they go through Cyprus, they go up to the mainland, today that's Turkey, to the left would be Europe, to the right would be the Middle East and Asia, uh, and they hit that particular area, and then they begin to travel around all in that area. Today we call that Asia Minor. That, or they did uh, then call that Asia Minor. That is the first missionary journey. 
we learned that they hit about eight different towns or communities. At least eight towns or communities are mentioned by name. They probably hit a bunch of others as well uh, that aren't mentioned in our Bible, but at least eight different communities they hit uh, and towns. And Paul, as we said, and as I saw, we saw just a moment ago, he said, look, I want to go back to those towns. I want to see how the believers are doing. Those people that came to the faith and were gung-ho when I was there with them two years ago, three years ago, I want to see how they're doing now. Are they still walking with the Lord? Do they have questions? Are they struggling with something? Have the pressures of the world come upon them and they're thinking of giving up? I want to go back. I want to talk to all of those believers again. I want to encourage them in the faith. And again, in 1536, he said that. Let's return back to the cities we visited before and see how the brothers are doing. Now, Barnabas and Mark, they're going to go to Cyprus. And I think we have at least three cities mentioned on the island of Cyprus, but we know that they traveled all the way through that island. And so Paul, and, or excuse me, Barnabas and Mark, according to chapter 1539, they're going to go back to Cyprus, so they're going to head uh, west. Paul and his new friend Silas, they're going to head north. They're going to stay on the mainland. They're in Antioch. Antioch was a region of the, a city of the region of Syria, they're going to hit Syria, and then north of Syria is what is called Cilicia, and they're going to hit that region as well. And we see that uh, also in verse 40 there, where it says, But Paul chose Silas, and he departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And then look again at verse 41. And they went through Syria, and they went through Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That's their goal. Paul and uh, Barnabas and Mark over there, strengthening the churches. Paul and Silas up here, strengthening the churches. As we go into chapter 16, 1, it says, Now Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, where there was a disciple there named Timothy. So we have a little map here, and you can see Derbe, that's the one in green. Lystra, that's the one that is there in red. So they're, they're like back right into the hub of where they had been previously. You might remember Lystra, that's the place where initially, wow, these people love us. Remember they were worshiping Paul and Barnabas as gods, and Paul and Barnabas, different language, chanting, Paul and Barnabas don't really know what is going on. But when they brought the cow out, and they put little wreaths around Paul and, you know, balloons and everything and the knife, then Paul and Barnabas figured out what was going on. And they said, no, stop. This is exactly the opposite of what we are preaching to you. Worship God, they told him. And then the people said, well, then, if we can't worship you, I guess we'll kill you. And so they began to throw rocks. Remember, they stoned the Apostle Paul, and they dragged him out of the city. They, they left him for dead, and there's a little bit of a debate. Was he actually dead? Did they think he was dead? Later on, Paul seems to describe that he actually was dead, and he was raised back to life. One way or the other, he got back up, went back into the city of Lystra, and he said, I wasn't done. And he finished preaching to them. Amazing. What courage he has. Now, here he is five years later, and he goes back into that town again. I would have went to some different town. I'm not going back there. Those rocks hurt. And yet Paul goes back into that town again, and he begins to check in on the believers. How are things going here? What courage on the part of Paul. Notice also, it's in Lystra that he finds and he meets a disciple. We see his name there in verse 1. It says, a disciple named Timothy. Now, we have a little bit of a description of this Timothy. It says that he is the son of a Jewish woman 
that believes, that means a Christian woman of Jewish descent, and it says, but his father was a Greek, or in other versions you might say, and it means the same thing, his father was a Gentile. That information, this moment, not that important. In a few moments, when we get a little further in the text, it'll be very important. So file away uh, the second half of verse 1 here. What we know about Timothy is a sizable amount from other parts in the Scripture. Timothy was either a convert of the Apostle Paul, so when Paul went into Lystra and he began to preach, Timothy either responded to Paul's preaching by believing, or after Paul left, one of the people that responded to Paul's preaching told Timothy, and he responded to that preaching. So one way or the other, he became a believer, either through Paul's preaching or through another person's preaching in that particular community. And as we see in verse 2, in Paul's absence... Again, we don't know how long, five years, six years, three years. There's different estimates that are out there. But in Paul's absence, this new believer, this young convert, probably in his late 20s, 30 years of age, grew a ton. And it says in verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now, that's not saying, wow, what a handsome fella, and they spoke well of him. Or what a great athlete, and they spoke well of him. It's talking about his faith. That's a good brother. They spoke well of him here. It doesn't say it, but it, it seems to suggest to me almost that the apostle was sort of, he put the word out that he was looking for a ministry assistant. I'm looking for a young guy, a solid brother in the Lord, someone that would be willing to put aside sort of his life and his life goals and come with me and help me on the ministry. And if that is indeed what was going on, the name that kept popping up, oh, you should bring Timothy you got to meet this kid named Timothy, this kid I call up. I'm 50, 28-year-old, see my kids. Uh, this young man, this fella, Timothy, you got to meet him. He's solid. And so Paul, he does. I suspect he had a little interview of some sorts. And Timothy got hired. Timothy would go with Paul and Silas on the rest of their trip. I think this trip is a, nearly a four-year missionary journey. And Timothy would go with them. And it would be the beginning of a real sweet, beautiful relationship between the Apostle Paul, who was probably in his 50s or so, and this fellow Timothy in his late 20s. And Paul would become in many ways a father to him in the faith, pouring into his life, encouraging him. Here's a few things Paul would later say of Timothy. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, this is why I sent you, Timothy, this is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So a trusted servant, I can send Timothy to you knowing he's going to teach you the things that I would teach if I were there. And notice also he calls him his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. In the book of Philippians, Paul comments on this young brother Timothy. He says this to him, to uh, the people of Philippi. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your, welfare, for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Again, high praise from the Apostle Paul for this young man. 
And the things that people were saying about him, he was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and the neighboring city of Iconium. The people knew this young man, knew what his faith was like, had seen him growing and all of this. They began to communicate that to Paul. I imagine, again, Paul met with them, and he said, you're great. We want to hire you. There's just one potential stumbling block, he says to him. One thing that needs to be resolved, and we see in verse 3 it says, but Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. I imagine these were the words spoken. Well, Timothy, you're certainly an excellent candidate, and we're delighted to offer you the job as ministry assistant. There's just one thing you're going to need to do first, which, as we see, is be circumcised. Now, that might change my desire to work for this company. Um, Now, if you were with us last week, one way or the other, here, online, out in the fellowship hall, whatever it might be, you probably can't help but think that this seems to be in direct opposition to the stance that Paul took last week and the last two weeks that we were together. Remember in Acts chapter 15, Acts 15.1, here's how it begins. Acts 15 is the Jerusalem Council. It took us a couple weeks to get through it, but it's all connected material. And Acts 15.1 began this way. Now some men came down from Judea and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, in that instance there, Paul argued strongly that what they were saying was not true and was not the case, and it wasn't necessary for a person to be circumcised in order to be saved. And because that argument couldn't be resolved amongst them, it led to the Jerusalem Council, where Paul went down and said, these guys are preaching this. I'm telling them it's wrong. Do you want to weigh in on it? Because Paul was saying that circumcision in and of itself cannot save a person. And he held his ground on that. I'll remind you, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul told the story of that fellow Titus, another young disciple, very similar in many ways to Timothy. And in Galatians chapter 2, he says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And you may remember in Acts 15, And in those other related passages, he brought Titus with him, stood them in front of the people there in Jerusalem, had him give a testimony of his faith, we imagine, and then made the point, now that's from a guy who's not circumcised. Are you going to tell me he's not saved? And so he took this stance, no, we're not circumcising Titus, and yet here in chapter 16, chapter later, he's taken this stance of, yes, we are going to circumcise Timothy. So what's going on? Has Paul changed his mind? Has his thinking been converted? Worse of all of those? Is he being a hypocrite in this instance? And the answer is neither. He hasn't changed his mind, nor is he being a hypocrite. Rather, Paul saw to it that Timothy was circumcised before they departed, not for Timothy's salvation. This isn't a salvation issue at all as it relates to Timothy. So as it related to Titus, as it related to those guys that came up from Judea, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you can't be saved. That was a salvation issue. And Paul took a strong stance on it. Here, as it relates to Timothy, it's not related to Timothy's salvation at all. 
It's not related to his right standing with God at all. But what it's related to is Timothy's status as a non-circumcised man from a Jewish mother and how that might hinder the work of the gospel, how it might hinder their missionary efforts. The scenario would be something like this, especially as they're in that area where people knew Timothy, where they would come into a particular area, Timothy would be standing there, Paul would say, hey, I want to talk to you about something, and the people would respond, we don't want to hear anything you have to say, because you have this Jewish man here who's not circumcised, and if you can't even get that right, we don't want to hear anything else you have to say. And so what Paul realized right from the start is Timothy's circumcision status is going to be a hindrance to our work. And t Timothy, I don't want anything to hinder our work. And so let's get you circumcised so people can't bring it up and use that as an excuse not to listen to us. Does that make sense so far? And so as we read in verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and there was the disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Rather than getting into arguments and debates about circumcision, let's just get you, to, you circumcised, Timothy. Paul would later say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I think it pertains, maybe not specifically to this instance, but the material certainly speaks to the thinking that Paul had in this instance. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20, it says this, To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order that I might win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though of course not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He said, and then later he would say, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. And I would imagine Timothy could have added, me too. Just like Paul did, so do I. And so Timothy, an older man, 30 years old, he's not like six days old. He's six, uh, 28, 29, 30 years old. He says, let's do that. Why should we have anything hinder the gospel? Again, to quote the Apostle Paul, remember that verse in Philippians 2, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, but not Timothy. He seeks the interest of Jesus Christ. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth among you, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy's goal was the same as the Apostle Paul's goal. And that was that the gospel would go forth. And so anything that might hinder that, I don't need it. That's okay. Put it aside so that the gospel can go forth. Who likes Timothy? Isn't he solid? Yeah, he's one of those guys in your Bibles, you're like, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like Timothy. Verse 4, maybe not exactly like Timothy here. Verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. That's directly connected back to chapter 15, to the Jerusalem council. What should we do about this? What are the Gentiles... Uh, that are in association with the Jewish Christians, what do they need to know? He says, uh, this information, they went around and they began to explain that to him, talk to them about that. Now you can go back and you can read chapter 15. We spent a, bit, a whole bit of time with it. Specifically, remember they wrote that little letter that Paul brought with him back to Antioch, Silas and others did. And so you can find out what's being referred to there in verse 4, Acts 15, verses 23 to 29. 
Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Remember, that was Paul's goal. Let's go back, see how the believers are doing, encourage them. I imagine a lot of Q&A sessions. You know, Paul, you know, you haven't been around, but what about this? What about that? Can you explain this? You know, we were wondering about that. And they taught them. They strengthened the churches. There's an expression, healthy sheep reproduce. And as Paul poured into, and Silas and the others, as they poured into these churches, as they strengthened these churches, the, the, the people in that church were growing as disciples. And because they were growing as disciples and were healthy followers of Christ, healthy sheep do what? They, amen. They reproduce. And so, as it says, they increased in numbers daily. Continuing verse 6. Now Luke's going to begin recounting this journey as the, the team continues. Look at verse 6. It says, Now they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now let's throw up a little map here. And so you see Phrygia there and Galatia. That's the, the area circle in black. And I understand a lot of you are like, I can't read it. It's too little. Just look at the circle, all right? And you're just getting a basic idea of where these things are. And so, again, they came kind of from the, the bottom right over there. Antioch was where Syria is. They went northward through Cilicia. They made a left turn, and they went through Galatia, and they went through Phrygia, as we see there. But we have this interesting phrase, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word there. Specifically, it says to speak the word in Asia. Now, technically, in our thinking today, all of that area is Asia. It's part of the continent of Asia. But in that day, that, that word Asia was similar to words like Syria and Galatia and Phrygia and Cilicia. It was a region of that particular area that was there. And if you look at this next map that we're going to throw you, that's the region there of Asia. If you have really good eyes, you can see kind of right in the middle is the word Ephesus. Ephesus was located right in the heart, in many ways, of that region there of Asia. And so, again, verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. For whatever reason, we'll learn, we'll have some ideas later on. Look at verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, another region, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I'll show you where Bithynia is here, so we can all see that. So it's up there. And I tried to create this next one. Hopefully it's helpful. And so the red arrow is designed to show they tried to go there, but they hit a wall. And then they tried to go there, and they hit a wall. And then finally you see the green arrow. And so here are these guys. They're on this missionary journey. They want to go reach people. Let's go south down to Asia hit a wall. We don't know what the wall was. All right, let's go up to the north then. We'll go up to the Bithynia area. They hit a wall in that particular area as well. So we see verse 8, and so passing by Mysia, the region, they went down to Troas, a little town, a little city. It was a port city on the Aegean Sea. You may remember from eighth grade geography, or because you're world travelers, um, but the Aegean Sea separates Greece from Turkey, you know, a little sea there? Nobody knows it. Well, that's where it is, all right? And Troas was a port city right there. It's on the Asian side, or today we might say the Middle Eastern side, the Turkey side 
of uh, the Aegean Sea. The opposite side of it, you can see it over there, the opposite side, that's Europe that is over there. All right, so they tried to go to Phrygia, nope, can't go there. They tried to go down to Asia, can't go there. They tried to go up to Bithynia, can't go there. And there was pretty much only one direction they could go to head toward the Aegean Sea. And so they do. And they end up there at Troas, which we'll talk about in a moment. Now, this raises to me an interesting question. I hope it does to you as well. And the question is this. Why would the Holy Spirit block them from going anywhere to preach the word? Wouldn't we expect that he would just be glad that the word was going forth? And so why would he prevent it from being preached in any particular place? You would think he'd be happy it's just being preached somewhere. And yet, according to this passage, what we see is the Holy Spirit preventing them from teaching it here and preventing them from teaching it there and preventing them from bringing it to that particular place at all. And so the Holy Spirit had in mind a place that he did want this missionary team to go. And it was in Asia, which is interesting, because the gospel would eventually go to Asia. Remember I, I pointed out how Ephesus was one of the main cities in that area of Asia? Well, some of the other towns in that area you may have heard of, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Are those familiar names to each of us? They're found in the book of Revelation. And you recall in the book of Revelation, which took place roughly right around the year 100 or so um, AD, that there were established churches in each of those cities in which John was told to pen letters that would be sent to each one of those churches. And so the gospel would eventually get to that area, but God didn't want, the Holy Spirit didn't want Paul and this missionary team to bring it to that area. Similarly, we know churches would eventually be birthed up in the area of Bithynia. But again, it says they were prevented by the Holy Spirit from going into that area as well. And again, the question is, I wonder why that is. Why wouldn't the Holy Spirit just want the message preached by whomever would go, wherever they would go? And again, the answer is because the Holy Spirit had a different place in mind for Paul and his team to go. And that was across the Aegean Sea. They were going to leave the area of Asia Minor, and they were going to go over to the area of Europe. And we're never told why. We, we can kind of piece together some clues. But we're never told why the Holy Spirit prevented Paul, Silas, and Luke from going to those other places. We're just simply told that he did. We're never told how the Holy Spirit prevented them from going to each of those places. We're just told that he did. And so it's possible that they received a, a prophecy of some sorts, a word of prophecy of some sorts, either they themselves or somebody that shared that with them that said, nope, not this place either. It's possible that it was just simply this inward speaking of the Holy Spirit, a discomfort of sorts. This doesn't feel right. I don't feel like we should be heading in this direction. It's possible it was something like that. It's possible it was through the circumstances they were facing. They couldn't get their passports. They put it in. The paperwork never came back, and it was just impossible to, to head out to that region because they didn't have it. Just normal circumstances. We might today call that door shutting and things like that. We're not really told, but one way or the other, we are told that they weren't able to go to those places. As one commentator I read, he described it this way. They were being guided 
by hindrances. Again, a phrase we commonly use is that the Lord was closing doors on each of those cities. And the Holy Spirit often does guide us much of the way by closing doors, as he does here to these guys. And he also guides us in many, many times by opening doors. Now, the difficulty is, how do you know if it's a door that the Holy Spirit is closing or if it's just something you need to persevere through? Because things take hard work sometimes. And you got to kind of, what's the word? Buck up and do it, right? And do your thing. And so how do you know when I need to persevere in the face of adversity or when the Holy Spirit is saying no? If you find the answer to that, would you let me know as well? But you just keep plugging away and you keep moving. You keep asking the Lord for his direction and guidance and his peace in those instances. But at some point, if the doors are shut, the doors are shut. And we have to face that particular reality and p- perhaps conclude, you know what, the Lord's leading me in a different direction. I'm reminded a bit of the phrase, it's unrelated to this, but I think the phrase applies to this. You remember the Apostle Paul, prior to being the Apostle Paul, they called him Rabbi Saul. And you remember Rabbi Saul was going to a particular place. He was going to persecute the Christians that were in that place. And he received a vision. It was a vision of the Lord, this bright shining light. It knocks him down to the ground. And he says, who are you, Lord? Interesting. He knew it was the Lord. He just didn't know, like, so what's your first name? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you've been persecuting. And he adds this to him. He said, it has been hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad, some of you may know, it's this stick, and on the end of the stick is this sharp point. I think we may have a picture of that um, there. That doesn't look too sharp, but according to the animals, it is. And so when that animal would begin to get off track a little bit, just a little poke in the hiney, get him back on track, get him where he needs to be. I guess the hook one is he goes really off, you give him a real pullback or whatever. And Jesus says to Paul, I've been goading you. I've been challenging you. I've been trying to get you to go in this right direction, and you've been resisting. And it's been hard for you, Paul, to kick against the goats. And, of course, Paul responds. The, Paul, the Lord is leading in a particular direction, much like a shepherd with his goat or her goat. And that forces us, or it should, to answer, Lord, is this you? Are you closing doors? Would you have me go in a different direction? Now, as we come to verse 9, the direction that God would have for Paul and the others becomes very, very clear. It's a big, giant door. It's a garage door being opened up, and it comes in the form of a vision or a dream that Paul receives. And so we see in verse 9, it says, Now, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and it was a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Troas is a port city on the eastern side of the Aegean Sea. Macedonia was a region on the western side of the Aegean Sea, kind of in the northwestern, if you're looking at a clock, 9, 10, and 11 or so of the clock, that's the area there of Macedonia. In Europe today, Troas in Asia today. And so what we see here is that the Lord had been closing doors in Asia because it was his intention that the gospel for the first time would make its inroads onto the continent of Europe. 
And I would suggest to you that has changed the history of the world, that it made its way to the continent of Europe. And so the Lord has been preventing these guys from going to Asia because it was his desire that they would carry the good news to Europe. Europe needed the gospel. Now, of course, you hear that uh, if you're a kind enough person and you think, well, didn't Asia need the gospel as well? Sure they did. And so this is a reminder to us that need does not necessarily constitute call. There are plenty of needs. There's all kinds of needs that are out there. But what has God called you to address? Now, let me just say this. If you come across the floor and it needs to be vacuumed, you can do that. You can grab, hey, do you have a vacuum? I wanted to clean that up. You don't have to debate whether God is calling you to vacuum. He is. All right? You've all been called to the ministry of vacuuming. And so, you know, but when we're talking about trying to meet all of these particular needs and particularly trying to pour yourself into a particular area, what does the Lord have for you? And so just because you come across particular needs may not necessarily be what he is calling you to. And so for these fellows here, they were being called to Europe. So I think a lesson, an application, something we can look at of these guys and say, you know what, I want that to be like that in my life as well. Were you open to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Or do you just get up and go? And you're going to do what you want to do, and God's going to have to be okay with that, even if it's good stuff. And so our friend Paul here, they were listening. They were allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them. Secondly, Paul and the others They're going to obey that leading, in some cases that hindering, of the Holy Spirit, even if it doesn't make sense. And there are aspects of this I don't understand. Why would you not want me to go tell them about Jesus? I don't want you to go there. Well, that doesn't make sense to me, Lord. That's okay. In this moment in time, it doesn't make sense to you. I remind you, I'm the Lord and you're not. And so will you listen to me even if it doesn't make sense in this particular instance? Paul and Barnabas, or excuse me, Paul and Silas, Timothy, they demonstrate that they are. And the third thing I notice of this is Paul and Barnabas did not initially set out to go to Troas. It's at least their third choice. But it was the Holy Spirit's plan for them to go there and from there to go to Macedonia. And so beautifully, because Paul was willing to be responsive to the Holy Spirit, Paul was willing to lay aside his will and his plans because of all that. They were used wonderfully by the Lord in the area of Macedonia. Let's continue, verse 9. And so a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and to help us. Verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Finally, the Lord had made his will clear to Paul, to uh, to Silas, to Timothy, all of them. He had made his will clear, and he did so, as we see, through this vision. Perhaps it was a dream. It talks about it being at night. Some man waving them in, come in, help us. Now we understand why God kept saying no. A lot of, and this for them, a week or two, who knows? Sometimes for us, it could be a year, two years, five years. Why does God keep saying no? to these things. Lord, what is your will? What do you want, Lord? What do you want me to do? I want to do something for you. And now, finally, that's why he kept saying no. Because there's a guy over there that needed me to come 
to see him, at least in the vision. And so Paul and his companions, they wanted to reach a few cities in Asia. God wants them to reach a continent for him, the continent of Europe. And sometime during that night, Paul receives his vision. It's a man calling them to come across to meet them. Finally, Paul has the guidance that he needs. Finally, he knows the will of God for his life. And it says there in verse 10, immediately uh, we saw he doesn't delay. Now he knows and he gets to it. So Paul's commended for that. But I think also Silas and Timothy are to be commended as well. Because they had been going to these various places. They march all the way down to Asia. Turn around, this isn't the right place. Are you serious? They march all the way up to Bithynia. Hey, we're going down to Troas. Are you sure? Are you sure we're going down to Troas here? And Paul says, well, oh yeah, I got a vision last night. Yeah, but we also had pepperoni pizza. Are you sure it wasn't that? No, I'm, I, this is the Lord. And Timothy and Silas, they do something that's very hard for us to do. They trust Paul, their leader. They trust him. They say, all right, you're going to be held accountable if we're wrong. But let's do it. Let's go there, Paul. And it, I imagine it's it, tremendously encouraging for Paul. So not only is Paul to be commended, they are to be commended as well. And they head down to Troas. Now, notice something here about verse 10. It says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia. Now compare that with verse 6. Verse 6 begins this way, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Look at verse 7. It says, and when they had come up to Mysia, and then finally in verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And now in verse 10, it shifts, and now instead of saying they, it says we. And that's an indicator that the author of the book, who we know to be uh, Luke, that Luke has joined them for this missionary journey. Luke's going to go with them from Troas over to Macedonia and some of the places. He's going to become, with Paul, a fellow laborer in the ministry. Now, he's not going to stay with them the entire time through the rest of the book of Acts. He kind of stays with them. Uh, he goes with them to a place Many times he'll stay behind. They'll go to the next place and he'll catch up with them. And then he'll be with them there for a little while and, and that'll happen again. But Paul, Luke here now has become a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul and with the others. And with that, we have one more reason why the Holy Spirit kept saying, no here, no here, no up there. I want you to go in this direction. I want you to go to Troas because it's believed that Troas is the hometown of Luke. And so one more reason why the Holy Spirit kept putting these other places to the side is he wanted Paul to connect with Luke. We know some things about Luke. Luke was a doctor, a physician. Paul probably needed that. He had frequent health issues, we learn. And so maybe that's why it would be really good to have a doctor traveling with us. But we also know that Luke was a highly educated individual. He was a slave, but he was a physician as well. And oftentimes, rich people would hire uh, a doctor for themselves. One of their slaves, they'd, they'd get them all trained up uh, to be a doctor for them. And so some people think that Luke's slave owner became a Christian and kind of said, here, you know, go do the work and gave him 
uh, to the Apostle Paul to take with him on these particular journeys. But anyway, as a physician, very well educated, even as our physicians are today. And he knew the languages. And he was very detailed. And he knew how to study. And he knew how to gather information and to confirm information. And it's really wonderful that he did because Luke would go on to write word count-wise over half of the New Testament. The book of Luke itself, a detailed account of the life of Jesus Christ, and the book of Acts, a detailed account of the first century church. And that was why the Lord wanted them to go to Troas, or at least one of the reasons that they might pick up Luke. That's why he kept saying no to Paul in those instances, so he could finally get him to the place where he wanted to say, now here's where I want you to be, and also I want you to meet somebody. How thankful are we that Luke, thank you, that Luke came along. Has anybody read the book of Luke? The gospel, it's been out for a little while. Uh, You probably could pick it up. Has anyone been moved by the book of Luke? I have. Has anyone been moved by their study of the book of Acts? I hope you have. I have as well. And that's because Luke wrote it for us. Luke is a gift to you and I. Amen? Amen. Good things happen when we obey the Lord, as Paul and the others did at the beginning of this journey. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, Lord, I thank you for kind of the no answers that Paul got. Trying to move out, trying to step forward in what he thinks you had for him, only to encounter these different roadblocks here and there. And I'm thankful for it because many times that's how our lives feel. When we've given ourselves to you, we desire your best for us. We want to find ourselves placed in the center of your will and living the life that you would have us to live and doing the things you would have us to do. And there's so much that could be done. So God, where do you specifically want us to be? And it's hard to know. It's a challenge to us. We feel like we go down paths that end up not being the path you would have for us. I'm trying to understand all of these things. And here we see the Apostle Paul just continually submitting himself to you. And so, Father, we want to do that. We want to be led by your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would bring each one of us, at least for this time of life, into the exact place that you would have us, that you might use us in the lives of others, that we might be a blessing. And like this man that we're going to look at in uh, Macedonia, Lord, that we might be able to go into those towns, those cities, those places of work, those communities. And we might be able to help them with the greatest help that we could bring a people. The message of the gospel of Jesus. So that each person that we come in contact with can become and and be made right in relationship with you. Lord, we would consider it our honor and privilege to be used in the lives of others to accomplish those purposes. So direct us. Open our hearts and minds to your leading, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.